don't know if it's okay for me to admit this, but sometimes I don't know how to pray. There are times when I close my head, my eyes, and I bow my head, and words flow, and I feel like I'm in communion with the living God. And there are times when I try to pray, and I can't. I don't know what to say, and I don't feel God's presence, and I don't understand. And this week was one of those weeks. When I cannot pray, I am grateful that God has given us a book that contains the prayers of Jesus and the prayers of God's people that have been spoken and sung and declared for centuries. And that it is in turning to some of those prayers that every once in a while you can give voice to what is inside you. Even something you didn't know was there. Like Psalm 39 that says, Show me, Lord, my life's end, the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Or these words from Psalm 16, I keep my eyes always on the Lord, and with him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The first time I met Brian Dunnigan was about 26 years ago. I was an intern at the First Presbyterian Church of Houston. And we were at a high school ministry party that was at Vic's house. And Brian could in one moment just be super confident and electric. And he had these other moments of kind of awkwardness and shyness. And he kind of awkwardly came up next to me and he was holding a dog-eared, underlined, highlighted copy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. And he came up to me and he's like, hey, have you read this? I said, yeah. He's like, it's good. I said, yeah. He said, I don't have anybody to talk about it with. Can we have coffee? It was about a year later. I don't know exactly the timing, but Brian was now in college. He went to this podunk little school in Northern California called Stanford University. And we were on a ski trip together for the college ministry of First Pres Houston. And we were rooming together. Do you remember those, those camping headlights that you can like 
put on your head. And I, I was coming, I was speaking at that camp, and then I was immediately coming back to ordination exams. I was going to have to sit for the boards to be a pastor of the church. So I would speak, I would ski, and then at night I would turn on my little camping headlight and I would sit there and read the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church and study for ordination exams. And Brian came out of the bathroom and he looked at me and he said, I kid you not, he said, he said, dude, you're an even bigger nerd than Vic is. (laughs) And then he said, are all Presbyterian pastors that they have to be dorks like you guys? <laughs> to which I said, and I had no idea the implications of this, I said, yes, and that is why you will be one of the greatest Presbyterian pastors <laughs> in our denomination. I had no idea. I had no idea how God would use this man. As a high school student, Brian was constantly at the Vic Pence household and he dated one of the Pence daughters. I'll let you guess which one. And Pastor Vic was fond of saying that, that Brian grew up inside his refrigerator. <laughs> one time uh, Vic saw Brian running out of the house and he was like, hey, that's a nice shirt. Wait, that's my shirt. <laughs> Those are my shorts. Uh, apparently the power had gone out in Brian's house and he had gone for a run and he needed a place to shower and Becky took this opportunity to try to give away some of Vic's old clothing and I'm pretty sure that you never saw those clothes back. I want to show you a picture here of, of the gang at Vic's retirement party from that first Prez Houston era with the Sandells and Vic and Marnie and on the right, Brian. This is special to me for a couple of reasons. One, Kelly was less than two months removed from open heart surgery and we had just gotten the green light to travel. But I missed that smile. The joy that Brian had. And if you knew him, you knew how smart, how gifted, how articulate, how thoughtful, how trusting, how kind and genuine this man was. But you need to know, and I know we're sad, but he was no saint. He just wasn't. He was super competitive, especially with anything that had to do with sports. And uh, there's this one family in the church that recalled Brian being over at their house for, I don't know if it was a youth or a young adult event, but it involved volleyball and Brian was crushing people and he didn't want to lose and uh, he had to circle back to that family to apologize not only for his overly intense demeanor but for the richness of his Christian vocabulary. (laughs) But it's one of the things I loved about Brian is that he wanted his life always to be a reflection of the gospel and he never he never pretended to always get it right and I would far rather be in communion and in fellowship and in friendship with somebody who was willing to try and to live and then to admit when he got it wrong as opposed to pretending to have it all together and that he never did even though he made it look easy We also just need to be very clear that Brian had some very unconventional forms of ministry. There was the time that he was leading the high school uh, mission trip in Costa Rica on behalf of this church. There were like 40 high school kids and he turned to somebody um, at the table 
one of the other leaders and he says, hey, watch this. Dessert was going around at the table and it was flan and people were about halfway through the dessert and Brian just with a total deadpan face, hey guys, you just need to be careful. Eat, don't, don't eat the flan because sometimes it can set in lockjaw if, <laughs> if you're not careful. And through the power of suggestion, there was a high school girl that said, oh my God, I can start to feel it already. <laughs> and Brian just let them kind of wallow in the panic for a little bit before he let them off the hook. It was like, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. It's totally fine. Another just kind of unconventional form of ministry, when he was an intern, he was staying with a family in this church and there was a a high school guy who was also staying in that home who was living there as a part of that family and um, they had a ping pong table down in the basement. And did I mention that Brian was good at sports? He, he almost never lost in any sport and um, his, the game of ping pong that he would teach, I can't even tell you what the real name is, is, is that you would play the first one to five and if you were the one who lost, you would have to lift up your shirt as a man and the other person on the other side got to hit a ping pong ball as hard as they could at you, which always, I mean, didn't always hit you. And it's a ping pong ball, right? But when a ping pong ball hits you at that speed to bare skin, it, it leaves like a quarter size welt on, uh, it's like going paintballing or something like that. And apparently, uh, they played a bunch of ping pong downstairs and this kid got crushed and he went upstairs without his shirt on and his parents was like, why are we letting this guy from the church live at our house and abuse our son? This is why the Highland Park Presbyterian Church should be grateful not only for the last nine years that they got of absolutely the very best in pastoral leadership under Brian, but that we, as a part of Peachtree Presbyterian Church, that we refined some of these things before he went to the Highland Park Presbyterian Church, that he didn't have to do all of these mistakes and make them on that church. And lest you think that I'm speaking ill of Brian or, or saying that this had long-term negative or debilitating results, it was, I mean, the, the ping pong family, uh, I mean, they just formed a bond. And it was less than a decade later that Brian was performing this young man's wedding. They knew each other really well at this point, and Brian got to the point in the wedding, that sacred, solemn moment where he said, okay, Mark and Catherine, I need you to now join your hands and bind these promises upon your soul. The only problem with this is that the man's name was Matt, not Mark, <laughs> and that Mark was one of the groomsmen, and so Matt stepped out of the way to see if Mark <laughs> wanted to, uh, to get married to. Small detail there. Incredible communicator of God's word. The most common comment that I've received this week is how much Brian increased their faith. How much he inspired them by the gospel. This would often happen in groups and sermons and things like that, but probably the deepest impact is one-on-one, -on -one, right? There's one guy in this church who said that he got the news of a terrible health concern for his mom, and he just, he ran into Brian, and he just began to weep. 
And Brian didn't say anything, but he just held him as long as he needed to until all the tears were out. And this man reported, you know those kind of, like that moment where finally you're done crying? And he said, you want to know what my first thought was after all the tears of grief poured out and Brian's holding me? I said, yeah. He said, I was sitting there too close to another dude and I was thinking, Brian is really strong. (laughs) I deeply miss my colleague and my friend already. Not a month went by when we didn't text, talk on the phone about something related to life or church leadership. One of my favorite conversations over the years had to do with what kind of car was okay for a pastor to drive. (laughs) What would Jesus drive? And uh, I was in California at the time. Brian was on his way to Texas when this conversation kicked up. And, and I said, well, I don't know, Brian, what do you want to drive? And he's like, I want to drive a Tesla. And I said, Brian, I'm in California. I get extra credit for driving a Tesla. You're going to Texas. The bigger, the better. Burn the oil as big as it is. That's what you need to drive. He got the Tesla. And he regretted it, and it's within the last year Brian and I were talking about that he apologized to me, and he said, he said, Rich, I'm going through my mud life crisis, and he got a pickup truck. (laughs) And I'll bet he's got one in heaven right now. So inquisitive, so curious, so wise for his age, not because he knew it all, but because he was always willing to ask. I spoke with Brian's mentor this week, his coach. And he said, if Brian had a fault, it was that he was loyal to a fault. But he said, Rich, how rare it is for someone to be that smart, that gifted, that much of a leader, entrusted with that much responsibility, and yet he always wanted to be better. Not just more effective. He wanted to be a better husband and a better father. In Peachtree, let me be clear, you helped to teach him that. You helped to form Brian into the person that he became. And he always wanted to live up to the high expectations of this church and whatever you thought of him. He wanted you to be proud of him. It was about a year ago, I was in a small group of pastors out at a ranch in West Texas with Brian. We were rooming together and um, it was the craziest place you've ever seen. There was the main house where most people were staying. Brian and I were like a 15-minute drive away in another house where you had to drive through. This guy's ranch was over 30,000 acres, 5,000 of which was a, uh, a wildlife preserve from, uh, for certain animals. And we're driving through the night. It's terrifying. And so I get back to the house, and I'm not ready to sleep. Nobody's ready to sleep because you just saw wild animals. It was crazy. And, and Brian said, hey, do you think we could stay up and talk and have what he liked to call grown-up beverages. Being Presbyterian, I said, there's only one answer to that question. And he gushed 
about how great he thought his life really was, how God was so good to him. How much he adored Allie and those kids. And Allie was a rock for Brian. Some of you might remember the time when the twins were born and they're in the NICU and how Allie held fast to that scripture in Exodus 14. You need only to be still. God will fight for you. And right now, there's nothing that Allie can do. But be still and allow God to fight for that family. Brian was incredibly blessed, but he had his struggles. And he was willing to be vulnerable. He would talk about how hard it was to lose his mom at such a young age. He knew hardship and pain and loss. What do we do now? What do we do with the gaping hole in our hearts? What do we do with the gaping hole in a family? What do we do with the gaping hole in a church, in a community? What do we do with the gaping hole in our faith? I'm going to shoot real straight with you. I don't understand this one. This one doesn't make sense to me. I got a list of people that I would love to send to Jesus in heaven. (laughs) And Brian's not on that list. Chuck leaned over to me after the service and he said, am I on the list? (laughs) Sometimes, Chuck. Sometimes. So what do we do? First of all, we need to remember how fleeting life is. Show me, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath. Even those who seem secure. If this death doesn't remind you that you need to live your life each and every day, with each and every moment, that you have no promise, and neither do I, that we're going to wake up on this side of earth tomorrow morning. I don't don't know what else will wake you up. The promises of heaven are secure. The renewal of creation will happen. The current state, though, the current state of the way that we live our lives with such presumption and entitlement and apathy leads to a carelessness that is unconscionable in light of the loss that's taken away. And my question for you here is, do you have the courage, along with the prayer book of the Bible, to say, God, show me the number of my days? 
And you know what that means? There are some relationships right now that need to get fixed. There are some marriages that need to get reconciled. There are some addictions that finally need to be confronted. There are some wounds that need to be healed. There are some sins that need to be convicted and confessed. Because you never know. Death will often feel like it is always on the other side of a border or in another state. What happens when this occurs is that death moved and rang our doorbell. Even to those who feel secure. This is the pulpit that's from our sanctuary, and it reminds us on the words here of making disciples of the Great Commission. The old pulpit that is a part of the historical architecture of the church that Frank Harrington and Vic used to preach from, it, it says on it that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. I know you believe it. You're in church. You probably wouldn't be here if you didn't believe that the word of God stands forever and that we are but a moment of breath. I know you believe it. Do you live it? Do you live your days that way? My second challenge to you is, are you keeping your eyes on the Lord? I keep my eyes always on the Lord, and with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. To me, the only thing that can stabilize me in a world that seems to be teetering and falling apart is being able to fix my eyes, not on myself, not on my circumstances, but on my Savior. And I think the result of fixing your eyes on Jesus is what it says next, that therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body will also rest secure, that inside you and what you say and even your very body can be secure, not because the world around you is sanctuary, but because you're keeping your eyes on Jesus. God will not abandon you, not to death, not to decay. And then it says, you make known to me the path of life. We can be filled with joy in God's presence, and I firmly believe that God has given Brian the eternal pleasure of God's joyful presence. There is a path of life for you. There is a path of life for you where every tear will be wiped away from your eyes. There is a path of life for you where everything can be made new. There is a path of life for you where the, or, where the old order of things will fall away. And God will put together the broken, shattered loss of even this. I understand that what I'm about to ask you to do is a little bit of a high-risk maneuver for our moment But as I get ready to close, I'd like you to see the last two minutes of the last sermon that Brian ever preached. For to this you have been called, 
Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree by his wounds you have been healed peter says at the end of the day if none of it works the good deeds the respect the honoring if none of it works don't give in to anger don't give in to hate do not become bitter and do not give up no lift your eyes to jesus and see how he suffered well And I know it is hard, it's so hard for us to make this leap from our world where the cost of following Jesus, even with growing secularism in our country, we are not suffering at a great cost for being loyal to Jesus. At least not yet. But many in our world are, and some in our family of churches today. And here's what Peter says. He says, look at the cross. Look at how Jesus absorbs the hate and the insults and the blows of physical violence and aggression and somehow in his suffering he did not fight back. He chose to love. He chose to forgive. And when you suffer, know this, he sees you and he will reward you one day when he makes all things right. Did you notice that behind Brian is the cross to which he is pointing you to? All of the giftedness, all of the intellect, all of the articulation, all of the abilities was all derivative of the cross that he said that we're to keep our eyes on. To keep our gaze on the love of God. What I grieve more than anything other than for Allie and those children, what I grieve more than anything else is I cannot explain the loss of the sermons he didn't get to preach, the baptisms he didn't get to perform, the hands he didn't get to hold. I just don't understand. You know how we we say in sports, somebody gets injured and you're like, next man up, or depending on the sport, next woman up. That's what I got to tell you. There is work that still needs to be done. And individually, I can't fill the void. You can't fill the void individually, but together, together, We'll do what we can. Young people are leaving churches at historic rates. And I don't think it's because they're no longer attracted to the cross of Jesus. It's because they've given up on the church. And Brian not only gave his life to Christ, he, he gave his life to the 
bride of Christ to the body. Be very plain. There is no future ministry of Jesus plan B without the church. And maybe, maybe there's a young woman or a young man right now listening to this message and maybe one day you're going to be nerd enough to be a Presbyterian minister. But most of you aren't. Thanks be to God. But you have a job to do. People still love Jesus. What they need to see is the church. They need to see the church alive. They need to see the church gathered. Because it's not enough to just believe these things. You have to belong to the bride and to the body. You has to be married in a community. And Brian wanted nothing more than to see a church flourish. And we're going to have to step up for that to happen. I told you that the first conversation I ever had with Brian had to do with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here's the most famous quote from that book. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. What this world desperately needs is not cheap grace. But Jesus Christ living in us, incarnate in us. That's how you can honor Brian's legacy. Let's build the church and let us pray. First and foremost, God, I, may your spirit pour out on Allie and Annie and Wheeler and Collier Jane right now. Give them that peace that is beyond their comprehension. And Lord, will you surround with your tender love and your embrace, your strength, all who grieve. Even when we don't know how to pray, give hope. Even when we don't know how to pray, give faith. Even when we don't have words, give love. Inspire us to live each day for you, to keep our gaze on you, and to push the future of this church and other churches in ways beyond our wildest dreams. Thank you that a few days ago you said, well done, good and faithful servant.
enter the joy of your master.